Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. focused on some New Year's resolution that gives us a false hope that things are going to be different. I don't know about you, but as we approached the beginning of the new year, uh, those who were on the TV were proclaiming, oh, we're going to put this behind us and everything's going to be all better. And we all knew that it wouldn't. We need a reminder of how great Christ is. So as we come to this book, there's some helpful background information to know. You know, who was this written to? Who wrote the book of Hebrews? In fact, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. At the beginning of this letter, there's no salutation. This is written from so-and-so. In fact, we know it's only written to the Hebrews because uh, the ancient texts kind of say to the, the letter to the Hebrews. It's not actually in the letter itself. Even the great origin, the philosopher and uh, theologian from long ago concluded, who wrote the epistle is known to God alone. But we don't have to know who wrote it to be impacted by it. The theme of the book is Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than so many things, the, greater than the sacrifices, greater than the prophets, greater than the priests, greater than so much else. We're going to find that as we walk through the book of Hebrews, but it's written to a people. It's written to Jews who have become Christians, Jews that didn't walk with Christ, but they were Jews and they came to know Christ. And so they'd be known as Messianic Jews. And so there's a lot of references to the Old Testament. In fact, this New Testament book references the Old Testament more than any other book. There's some 283 times the Old Testament is alluded to or referenced. Even the book of Matthew references the Old Testament a lot, but only about 60 some times, 60 or 70. So we're going to learn a lot about the Old Testament as we study the New Testament. So if you're wondering how to make sense of certain things in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews is actually going to help make sense of that stuff for us as we go through it. But these people, these Jews, these Hebrews, they were under persecution. They had experienced persecution. In Hebrews 10, it says this about them. But recall the former days. When, after you were enlightened, meaning after they became Christians and saw Jesus was the Messiah, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The people who got this letter had experienced the shaming of their own people, even some of their family members not wanting to talk with them or be with them. They were kicked out of the synagogue, the place that they had grown up going to worship every single week, multiple times a week. They weren't allowed to go there. 
And then they even lost some of their own belongings. But they joyfully accepted it. That's the kind of people that were receiving this letter. And the purpose of this letter was to help them to hold fast to Jesus. This book also warns us of the pitfalls that are common in every age that can potentially shipwreck our faith. But the goal is to press into maturity in Christ, to press into Christ, to see Christ more fully so that Jesus will become bigger for you and for me. Now, I don't think there is another message more relevant for the day in which we live. So let's jump into the book of Hebrews. Verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke long ago. God spoke. God speaks in different ways. The scriptures kind of reveal to us that God speaks. It starts with God speaks in through his creation. So it says in many times, in many ways. We learn from Psalm 19. It says the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. So God speaks through his creation. Romans even talks about that in Romans 1, that God's invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen through what he has made. So that's That's what we call general revelation. God's revealed himself to his creation through his creation. Some of the problems that we experience in our day, some of the challenges in our day are rooted in the denial of the creator and then the denial of his created order. We're told nothing is certain. Everything is subject to how you feel in a particular moment. Even when someone says something is certain, all you have to do is wait a generation and that next generation says, well, they were completely crazy and no, this is actually what is certain. So if God doesn't speak, we are left with uncertainty. We're left with no standard. We're left with no purpose. We're left with no significance. We're left with no substance. But the reality is, God spoke. God spoke. And he has spoken, as it says here in verse 1, to our fathers by the prophets. Beginning long ago, God has revealed himself, which is what what theologians would call special revelation. There's the general revelation that everyone experiences. Everyone knows because uh, even the rocks cry out, right? His creation calls out that God exists. But then God spoke through the prophets. That's where we get a lot of our Old Testament, the prophets who recorded a number of things that happened or proclaimed his word. Al Mohler describes this special revelation as direct verbal revelation that comes from the very mouth of God. Special revelation is what we have in Scripture. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, 
that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So when you open up your Bible, the words contained here are God-breathed. They're not just simply inspired, like, oh, you know, someone gets inspired to write a poem or a, or a novel or a song. No, these are actually the words of God. They're God-breathed. And even though God's words were recorded by a number of people, one commentator says that these people, they were not alike. They were, some were kings, others were statemen, others were priests or prophets, a tax collector, a physician, a tent maker, a fisherman. Yet together, they produced a volume that is a marvelous unity in doctrine, unity in historical viewpoints, unity in ethics and expectations. It is, in short, a single story of divine redemption begun in Israel, centered in Jesus Christ, and culminating at the end of history. Behind the human efforts of the more than 40 human authors is the one perfect sovereign and guiding mind of God. So actually, even in our Bibles, the fact that there are a number of people that wrote it actually gives weight to the fact that it is God's word because so many wrote in it, so many recorded and were used uh, by God and the unity of what they communicate is so clear. That's testimony that God speaks. Now, some would say, well, there's no God. I've never heard God's Voice, God's never spoken to me because so if God's never spoken to me, He must not exist because I don't hear His words, He must not exist. Well, I don't know if you've ever experienced being in a foreign country or rather engaging with someone who doesn't speak your language. I know one time I was in another country with some friends on a missions trip. And one of my friends is trying to communicate something to the individual who clearly does not know English, right? now, as he's talking, he starts to get more animated, like, hey, we want to do, and he starts to speak slower and like with big hand motions, we want to do this and go here. And the person's looking at him like, what are you, an idiot? Is this like a crazy man? Whoa. Why did he look at him like a crazy man? Because he couldn't understand him until our interpreter came. When our interpreter came, speak normal words to the interpreter. The interpreter shares that with the individual. What is the interpreter? The interpreter is, is actually what they are is they're a messenger. They're simply sharing the message of the person who's sharing it in the language for it to be heard. And we have received a message through the prophets from God. So some people say, well, there's not a God. Well, he's actually spoken to us. You're looking other places to try to hear from him or demanding that he speak to you. But the fact is he has spoken to us from long ago through the prophets. But here's a reality. God has spoken. He has willfully made himself known. How do we know someone? How do we get to know someone? We can only get to know them by them revealing themselves to us. Now, Mark, who 
preached the word the last couple of weeks when I first got to know Mark. We sat down, we had dinner, we had conversation, and I didn't get to know Mark by going, hey, Mark, hey, tell me this about yourself, and Mark just giving me like one-word answers. How did I get to know Mark? I got to know Mark because he disclosed himself to me. He shared with me his story, how how he got married and, and life and ministry and any number of things that we talked about. But I got to know him because he revealed himself to me. And we can know God because he's revealed himself to us in his word. He shared his thoughts through the prophets. He spoke in dreams and visions, even through donkeys. He spoke. And it's preserved for us in our Old Testament that we're going to learn more about as we study the New Testament. But God still speaks today in his word. This is not an irrelevant book. This doesn't need to be added to. In fact, there's things in scripture that tell us not to add to this book. But it's not irrelevant. It's not just some old document. Oh, we're going to move on from this. No, this is God's self disclosure to us. This is the thing that is going to endure from generation to generation. I mean, even when you think about things that you've learned in school, you hardly know anything about some of the philosophers you've learned about or the scientists that you've learned about because most of that has been forgotten. Most of the people that did quote unquote significant things in the world have been completely forgotten about. The things that we do right now that we think are so often, the buildings that we build, the plans that we make, the things we pontificate about, they are going to be forgotten. But this will not be forgotten because it is the way in which God has revealed himself to us. But this book, even in the Old Testament long ago, as it was revealed, it longed for a conclusion. As you're reading through the Old Testament, even as we studied through Daniel, there was a longing in Daniel. Like there's something wrong here and there needs to be a conclusion. If you come to the end of the Old Testament, there's a longing that something needs to happen. A savior needs to come. So the Old Testament longs for an answer. And that answer is how God speaks to us now. So long ago, and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But look at verse 2. But in the last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God speaks to us now. He speaks to us. He has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the conclusion to the story that started long ago. Jesus is the one that's better than the prophets who God spoke through. Because Jesus isn't simply a messenger. That's what the prophets were. They were servants of God. They sought to honor God, but they were messengers. But Jesus is so much more than just a messenger. This is what we learn about Christ. Look at your Bible. So he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. 
Jesus is God's heir. If you're an heir, that means, that means the head of the home leaves you with authority, puts you in charge. He's the one that gets the inheritance. And what kind of inheritance does, does Jesus get? Psalm 2, 8 says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It says, Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is given everything. In the first century, if you were to do business with an individual and they had a son, if you did business with the son, it was as if you were doing business with the father. You knew that they represented the father, that they had the same authority to make the decisions as the father. And Jesus is the heir. He's not just some messenger. He has full authority. John 3.31 says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from, above, from heaven is above all. Jesus is over everything. So no matter what you walk through in life, you get to deal with the Son. You get, you get direct access because you get to deal with the son. Whether it's a trial that you're going through, whether it's a question that you have, you get to go right to the top because he's the heir of all things. And then Jesus is also the agent of creation. So look back at verse 2, whom uh, he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. Now, many of you probably are thinking about when we were in the book of the Gospel of John, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. It's not that there was God the Father up here who just kind of created everything and then uh, Jesus was the guy that wore a robe and walked around and was nice to people. No, Jesus was at the beginning and everything was made through him. He's not just a man. When he speaks, things come into existence. Like nothing is there, he speaks and something shows up there. He doesn't just have a great ability to manage chemistry and mix things together and produce something else. No, he speaks and nothing turns into something. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. There is a created order even if the secular world is denying that there is a created order and trying to separate the created order from the person itself. There is a created order and it was created through Christ and it was created for him, for his purposes, for his glory. We were made for him. 
not for us. Too often we are tempted to start with us. What do I need? What do I want? What do I feel? What can this do for me? But the Bible says that creation was made for him. So you were made for him. For his purposes. To bring him glory. You were made for him. Think about the significance that that brings to every single human being on the planet that has ever lived. Every human being has significance because they were created for Christ. If you were given the opportunity to deliver a gift, something that was purchased for someone else and you knew it was valuable and you would want to make sure that you were going to deliver it to someone who was important, you would take great care of it because you knew it was for that important individual. All you have to do is look around you in this room or whenever you leave this building, all of this, the people, the trees, the grass, it was all made for him. And he will have the last word because he was in the beginning and he will be at the end. We learn that from Revelation. It says, she said, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He started it, he's going to finish it. But in the middle, we need to know nothing has happened by chance because he created it. No person or attribute about you has happened by chance. It's not a mistake that's happened. Every bone, every sinew, every cell was for his glory. So you have significance. If you ever struggle with or you walk with someone who's struggling with them having significance, all you have to tell them is the truth, that you were created to bring God glory. You were created for Christ. That's who you were created for. Don't believe the lies the world has told you or is going to try to tell you that you are worthless, pointless, fruitless. You were created for him. And because he creates, because he creates out of nothing, he can take your mess and he can do something with it. He can make something good out of the struggle that you've had or even the mistakes that you've made. He can, he can restore that which the moths have eaten because when he speaks, he can create something out of nothing. So know that Jesus is the agent of creation and it makes significance in our daily lives. And Jesus is also how we know what God is like. Look at verse 3. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't just reflect God's 
glory. Like the moon reflects the sun, right? The sun doesn't have light in and of itself. We only see it because it reflects the light from the sun. No. Jesus is part of God's glory. He is the sun, S-O-N, but he shines like the sun, S-U-N. He, he is God's glory. It says he's the exact imprint. When you have a, a, a coin, penny, quarter, right? They all look the same. Why? Because they, they are printed. They're an exact imprint of the original. You only need one penny to know what a penny looks like because they all look the same. They're an exact imprint. But God only has one imprint, and that is Jesus. But how do you know what God looks like? You look at Jesus because he's the exact imprint. If you want to know God, you know Christ. If you want to know what God is like, you only have to look at Jesus. When we see him, we know just what the God of the universe looks like. We can know how God thinks. We can know how he talks. We can know how he relates to people. He's not just out there. We can't figure it out. All we have to do is look at the life of Christ, and we can see God. But more than just we can see God because of Christ, we can know God, because it says at the end of this verse, after making purification for sins, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we could know God. John 14, 6 to 7, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is not only how we know what God is like. Jesus is the way that we actually know God. If you repent of your sins and believe in him today, you can have a relationship with God because of Christ. And if you want to know more about that, I encourage you to speak with me or Wes or one of the small group leaders or someone that you came with. Let's talk about that before you leave here today. He wants to know you. He's revealed himself. He desires that all men and women would be saved. So we know God by trusting in Christ. We have relationship with him because he's taken away our sin. But we can know God. We can know about God. We can know how God works by looking at Christ. So if you question, is God is this God working in my life? Well, look to Christ. Look what Christ calls you to. Look how Christ relates with you. If you're feeling anxiety and wanting to know, ah, you know, anxiety, oh, God's, God's putting this on me because I've done something wrong and he's, he's trying to make me feel bad. But no, Jesus says, no, look to Christ. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light totally changes the lie that we're believing that we're supposed to be in this because of punishment. No, we look to Christ and we know, no, God is relating to me, not by what I've done, but by what Jesus has done. So look to Christ. That's how we know what God is like. We also know that Jesus upholds the universe. 
In verse three, it says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. He doesn't just create the universe, but he keeps it going. He's not just holding it up like, like the Greek god Atlas. You maybe you've seen that statue somewhere where you know it's this big strong muscle guy that's that's holding the dead weight of the world. He's not holding the dead weight of the world. Everything in the world continues to exist because of Christ, because of his word. The breath that you are taking right now happens because of Christ. The rotation of the earth's axis happens because of Christ. The rising and the setting of the sun happens because of Christ. The seasons change because of Christ. When you cut yourself and your body heals, it happens because of Christ. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 affirms this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He even is sustaining those who are actively rejecting him. I'm so grateful that he is sustaining those who are actively rejecting him because I was one of those people at one time that was actively rejecting him and he sustained me so that I would see him and see my need for him because he made a way for me to come to him. So think about how amazing Jesus is. He doesn't just to sustain the things that we love, but even the things that hurt him as he's longing to come back and make it all new, as we sung about in the new song today. So how are we helped by Jesus, knowing Jesus holds all things together? He's actively involved in your life. Last I checked, you were part of the universe. You don't exist separate from the universe. So if he holds the universe together, he's holding things together for you. Even when it feels like everything is spinning apart, like everything is falling apart, he's there. He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. He is there. He's present to help you to get through that which you are walking through. Whether it's a trial of cataclysmic proportions or it's it's getting through the spelling test that you've got in school, right? He's actively involved in every situation. If he can sustain the universe, he can sustain you. He can sustain you while you're waiting. He can sustain you while it's hard. He can strengthen you uh, for the things that he's called you to do. Know that he upholds the universe by the word of his powers, just his words. Because he, he doesn't need to be, he, he's so powerful, he's seated, as we're going to find, right? After making purifications for our sin, he sat down. He doesn't have to get up. 
oh, I got to go do this. He just speaks, and it happens. So he is sustaining you by his word. And that's why we study God's word, because that's where we get fed. That's how we are sustained as Christians. That's why we're reading the Bible together as a church. That's why we're talking about it when we gather in our small groups, because his word sustains us. It refreshes us. It renews us. Because he upholds the universe. And fifthly, Jesus is seated at God's right hand. So he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's in the place of honor. He's not some second-rate individual, not some spurious individual who had some clever ideas that he shared about that people put on T-shirts and bumper stickers. He's seated at the right hand of God. And the fact that he's sitting is significant because the priests in the Old Testament, as we'll read about at different times, you know, they made sacrifices for the sins of the people. They would go and they would sacrifice a bull and lambs and birds and different things for different sins and make atonement. They are, they are constantly working. They're working as they're Taking, making the sacrifices, even the preparation of the one who could go into the Holy of Holies went through a great thing. They're constantly standing, 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 standing. But Jesus is seated because when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. When he went to the cross, he paid the penalty for all of our sins. And the righteous life that he lived was given to us. For those who trust in him, God looks at us as if we lived the perfect life of Christ. So his perfect life was lived and the penalty was paid for and it is finished. So there's no frantic activity happening in heaven because Jesus is seated. So if you're concerned about where you're at in your growth and your walk with the Lord and it feels like pressure, I got to do this, I got to do... It is finished. Yes, he's at work conforming you to the image of his son. But the work is finished. Jesus has done it. And you experience the benefits of it because he is seated at God's right hand. This is Jesus. This is just the first three verses of Hebrews. Okay, we're, we're just getting started. Do you see why we are just going to preach Christ? Because we got plenty to preach. Because he's greater than the prophets. He's not just a messenger. He's the heir to the universe. As the redeemer, he bought our souls so, and made us uh, his personal inheritance. He's the creator of the universe. He created the universe. The, the 100,000 million galaxies, each with 100,000 million stars, each with 6 trillion miles across. He created all of that. He's sustaining it all, all the galaxies everywhere and every aspect about your life. He's sustaining. He's the exact imprint of God. He represents who God is. We can see everything about God. He is God, yet he's separate with God. 
And he purifies us from our sins because he paid for our sins with his blood. And he rules because he sits. Having paid once for all, he's the supreme priest. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is no other. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy, Lucy experienced in her mind Aslan getting bigger as she got bigger. And it's my prayer as we study the book of Hebrews that you would have a larger view of Christ. Even if you've stopped growing in stature, he still wants you to grow in him until he returns. He's at work conforming you to his image so that you would bring him glory. And so may we see whenever we come to Christ, as we study the book and as we meet with him each day, would we go, Jesus, you're bigger. To the glory and praise of his name, may our awareness of Christ get bigger as we study this book. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for showing your son to us in this book. Thank you for your servant. We don't know their name, but they have shared much with us about Christ. And as we look to Christ, we learn about you. And I pray God that you would transform us because I believe the most important thing about us is what we think about you. So, so change us, Lord, as we study about your son, as we learn about him, as we learn about how he reflects your glory. May we be changed. Help us to understand all that you've shared from long ago and help us to treasure and have the experience that that the character Lucy had with Aslan, finding comfort in your nearness, experiencing the, the feeling of the comfort that the, the breath that she felt, would we experience your nearness in that way? And I pray, God, that you would sustain us, that you would sustain those who are here that need to hear this message because they are, are weighted down. they would find comfort and strength because Jesus is greater. For those who are facing a hard decision in front of them, that they would be strengthened because Jesus is greater. For those who might be called to make a sacrifice, that they would willingly do it because Jesus is greater. Lord, would we be changed because Jesus is greater. We ask all this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.